Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is produced in association with Jazz Times. Trombonist Nick Fincer's CD, Out of Focus, honors the composers and musicians who have inspired him throughout his life. Fincer found the pandemic lockdown creatively challenging, but ultimately useful in giving him the time to focus differently, record with others remotely, and create fresh readings on the music of some of his favorites, J.J. Johnson, Duke Ellington, Hoagie Carmichael, and others. We recorded the following conversation in November 2021. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I love that your latest CD is called Out of Focus because you seem like the most focused person in our business. <laughs> and that was the first thing I noticed. I thought, this is really ironic because here's a guy who's all over the place. So, But talk about this CD. And I loved your just your positive take on capitalizing on the pandemic time. And I love the quote. So I want to say this before you dive in. The quote from your album jacket, or maybe you can just quote it. I've got it in front of me, but it's better if you read it. The quote from Seneca that I put in here? Yes, yes. Tell me. Uh, It says, nothing to my way of thinking is a better proof of a well-ordered mind than a man's ability to, to stop just where he is and pass some time in his own company. It's the perfect pandemic quote. So talk about that and your decisions and how you came to that to all of it with the with COVID. Talk about that. Yeah. So I really had a hard time, I think, at first because I wanted to keep going just like I always had. And I've always been a person that's been very active online, offline. And so, you know, when everything first happened, I got off the road from being on the West Coast, come home. Okay, what do I do now? And at first I was just kind of spinning my wheels a lot. And I was, because I I have a lot of projects going on. And so I do have a lot of external focuses. Mm -hmm. And at some point I was like, man, I need to just kind of reflect for a second and like think about my creativity and my music and like, what can I do with this time? Like you mentioned, creatively, what can I do for me? And actually thinking about my music, because I'm very much a person that will just spin my wheels (laughs) and run around the hamster wheel, you know, doing this and this and, you know, this thing, this new project, that new project. And it was a chance for me to really deal with my musicianship in a way I hadn't for a while, you know, and just like, oh, let me see what I can do. Like you mentioned, like, what can I do? There's a lot of limitations. I can't do a lot of things. And I get this. I think, you know, my parents are both very positive and kind of instilled these kind of both a work ethic and also just like, just keep going kind of ethic Mm, as well, you mm. know? And so that kind of came through during this time. And I was like, well, I'm going to figure out, I'm going to try to work with some people I hadn't been able to work with. I want to see if I can, you know, coalesce something and just create something different than all my projects. Because all of my other projects have been with my core sextet, my guys that I went to school with that I know very well, that I write original music for. And I was like, I need to take a break and do something else. And so this Mm. is, this project is what eventually came out after it was very slow <laughs> very slow was but, it why in what way was it slow what do you mean you know even though i'm saying like 
trying to use the time and like be really positive about it. Like the day to day of it was sometimes like a struggle to be like, am I really going to record this trombone part on this like little project of mine? Like there seems like such bigger things to worry about. So sometimes it really was a struggle for me too to like, even with that positive attitude to like keep going and be like, all right, this, this is something that matters, you know, to, <laughs> this is a, and so for me, it was a balance of kind of some days I'd jump in and do a lot and some days, you know, nothing for a while. And I was definitely hard on myself at first, but it took me a good six months to kind of realize I needed to kind of just chill out and change my, <laughs> change my the way of working, you know? professional musician is your father also a professional musician or just your mom he's a professional musician supporter (laughs) well we all need an audience there needs to be i I played piano my brother dropped out of piano lessons so i always said he was the audience same thing i understand (laughs) exactly but i'm always curious about people who have parents who are professionals and because some parents say don't you dare go into this business but that (laughs) does not seem to be you seem to be and of course, this is all inference on my part, because looking at your site, all the things that you're doing, talking to you, did your mom encourage you? What did you, what were the advantages and what were the disadvantages? Were there any of having a professional parent, professional musician parent? I'm curious what kind yeah. of you know advice she gave you or did she? You know, I, the short answer is she didn't really because she is a professional musician now. But when I was growing up, she actually had stopped playing when I was when I was a kid, and I didn't even know she was a musician until when I was a, when I really started taking music seriously in middle school and high school. She decided 
she wanted to get back into playing again. She she was going to go to conservatory for music, but decided that that wasn't the right path um, when she was 18 or whatever. But she realized later that that is what she wanted to do, you know. And so she got back into it. So we were kind of both into it at the same time, and it was kind of it was really inspiring as a young person to see Herbie doing that and going after what she wanted to do and getting back into it after, you know, maybe 10, 15 years away from playing and just. It's inspiring to see. And now she's, you know, doing a lot of different things. You know, she kind of was a classical flautist and kind of now she's in this whole, they live in Arizona now, my parents, and there's a kind of a big scene for like healing music and new age music. And she's kind of into this kind of scene of stuff and she's composing and writing and improvising and doing all kinds of things and just like a totally separate world, you know, from where I live. And it's super right. cool. But, um, but yeah, she wasn't, they didn't have that like direct knowledge. So maybe it was a good thing because they weren't able to be like, no, 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 do not be a musician. (laughs) (laughs) It's interesting because what I take from that and from other people I know who've just had inspirational parents though, is that your parents were positive, as Mm -hmm. you said, and they instilled that, just get on with it, stay positive. But also just the fact that she decided to go back into music I can tell you as a woman in music that's also even crazier (laughs) you know than a man going into it in many ways and the fact that she did that that would be inspiring I think for anybody you obviously have a lot of energy I know I'm, I'm another energetic person who's always going in 20 directions and I think that very often people who aren't blessed with just genetic energy you know I'll say it that way think that we're constantly having ideas and that it's easy on some level. So I I honor you saying that, that you struggled with it and you saying that you had to sit with it and then sort of talk to yourself, keep it going and all of that, which I really admire it. And it's a fascinating project because of the, the music's wonderful, but something that really... Uh, struck me, and I i don't even know how to say this without it sounding funny, but trombone is very often used, or it has been in the past. The things that one can do with a trombone, all the cool things and the cool sounds one can do, has often been used for comedy. Sure. And you knew, I could tell by the look on your face, you knew where I was going with this, but you show this wide, wonderful sonic, if that's the right word, range of what the instrument can do that's really beautiful. And I can only imagine, I'm a pianist, so for me to play solo is no big deal. (laughs) But for you to do this is fascinating. Talk about that process, because it was very inspiring to me. And in fact, I watched some of your videos and I learned some things. And you were talking to (laughs) trombone players and I thought, I think I'll take a class and see what this guy's about, you know. But talk about that and your approach with it. I thought it was... um, so musical and just wonderful. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say, first of all. So thank you. And um, yeah, you're totally spot on. Trombone sometimes gets put into a corner a little bit as the uh, the goofy the goofy instrument or the comic instrument, like you mentioned. But, you know, I fell in love with the trombone because of the sound of it from the beginning. And not the loud sound, but like the... I grew up in Rochester, New York, and the Eastman School of Music is there. And that's where kind of the tradition of having a trombone choir on the classical side of things kind of really came into, not started, but really was like 
very much. There's a huge trombone tradition there. And one of the great pedagogues of the instrument, Emery Remington, taught there for a very long time. Anyway, so it was in my like um, knowledge. It was in my... I can't think of the right word. But. Well, you were you were already drawn to that sound, thinking exactly. of it that way, exactly. of using these different warm sounds and yummy sounds of the trumpet. I'm coming from a place, I worked, one of my first gigs was Disneyland, mm -hmm. and one of the guys that worked the same, the same beat as I did played trombone with his foot. So oh, that's boy. where, <laughs> but, <laughs> so there you go. But also it's where I met John Allred. So, oh, he's incredible. Yeah. So we had a full range of ridiculous to the sublime mm -hmm. <laughs> with that. That's amazing. So you had this sound and why you went to trombone, but talk mm -hmm. about the challenges or maybe it isn't for you to jump in and play it solo. I think oh. it's an, amazing. Talk about that, <laughs> to keep yeah. it interesting. No, for sure. Yeah, that's the number one um, thing you have to think about as a solo. I mean, I'm sure you know as a solo pianist, like, and I'm trying to think more orchestrationally, but only with one voice. You know, it's kind of what I try to think about it. And when I talk to my students about it or think about what do I do to put something together, it's textures. Do I play fast? Do I play slow? Do I play low? Do I play high? All those different things and making sure, one, it's not too long. I mean, some of the tracks, I don't know, maybe they're too long for some people, but, you know, especially with solo trombone. But, you know, I tried to think about different textures and practice different textures and say like, all right, on this one, I'm going to try to do this. And this one, I'm going to try to do this. And um, I was inspired actually by one of my teachers. He showed me a concert he did one time that was an all monk concert at Jazz Lincoln Center. I don't know when it was, maybe the early 2000s. My, my teacher was Steve Teray, and he did like a solo version of a monk tune for this like monk tribute. And every, all different inst instrumentalists did. And from that moment when he showed that to me, I was like, oh, I'm going to figure out like how do I, to do something in that solo vein. I didn't know it was going to turn into several solo tracks, but you know, <laughs> I was like, I want to be able to do at least one solo piece on a show when I go to play a concert. And especially when I'm doing like a master class or something, it's always really nice to have something to play by yourself as a trombonist because we're always reliant on, you know, a rhythm section, which is so fun, obviously, to play with. But sometimes we got to just like do it ourselves, you know? So um, that was kind of the impetus. And this was me just like exploring textures, sounds, obviously layers with some of the tracks, but I'm really trying to think about improvising. And it's really, really scary for trombone because I, I, you're thinking multiple voices and it's totally different for me, at least playing that way than it is playing the normal way with the rhythm section and playing tunes and stuff like that. So it has been a really big challenge. And it took me, like I said, like six months to kind of decide, all right, I'm actually going to do this and try to record these things. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah
Trombonist Nick Fincer on The Star-Crossed Lovers from his CD, Out of Focus. I'm Judy Carmichael. 
and this is Jazz Inspired. Nick used the pandemic time to push himself creatively and take on new challenges when putting this CD together. Number one, it's great that you challenge yourself with something different. I think that's another thing on this show that we talk about a lot is how do you stay creative? Mm. And I think a lot of times going, well, actors were always saying, I wanted to scare myself, but that's too nebulous. People don't know what that means. And <laughs> But if you try something radically different, like you're explaining here, but also for me, these solo tracks, I was hooked into the story of it. You really told a story. You got, I know the textures and all the things you're talking about, but I'm a musician. I couldn't last on a long track if there weren't a story that were really intriguing me and thinking, where is he going to go with this <laughs> with this story? Mm. And I love that. That was something that really struck me about your whole CD and how you put it together. So it was really beautiful. Oh, I'm so glad it comes across that way. Um, it's important to me, you know. Big influence for me is Duke Ellington, and I feel like his music does exactly that. And so it's just kind of in the back of my mind kind of all the time. guest, Nick Fincer on Duke Ellington's Mood Indigo. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. You brought me a great Duke Ellington. Speaking of Duke, this track is wonderful. Talk about this because it's really deep. Yeah, this particular track is uh, Ahmad. It's from the uh, Middle East suite. It's kind of in, 
I would say in the later third of his creative output. And it's one of these tracks that it, it came to be after they did a State Department tour to the to the Middle East and had a lot of different experiences. And that this particular track, Ahmad, is features Lawrence Brown on the trombone, who's a really, really big influence on me, trombone playing wise. But um, the composition is exactly this. It tells a story. It tells the story of waking up uh, in the morning in Turkey or, and hearing the calls to prayer in the morning. That's what the trombone is doing. And when you when you listen to the music, you can kind of hear the hustle and bustle of the city. You can hear the voice. You can hear like all of those things. And just the way that Duke transports you like that, but it's still swinging and it's still 100% jazz. Like there's no question about what it is. And to me, that's just super inspiring. And the way that he was able to feature voices like that and feature mm. feature that musicianship of, of Lawrence and whoever he was featuring. But on this track, obviously, it's Lawrence Brown. And um, it's just... I don't know. There's something about his music that always pulls me back. I think like, oh, I love all this complicated music. And then I go back to Duke and I'm like, oh yeah, but that too is like, that just gets me every time, you know? <laughs> is that what first drew you to Duke? Because that was one of your early inspirations for even getting into jazz was Duke Ellington, right? Yeah, that was the first jazz music. Yeah. yeah, first jazz music I really ever played was his music. And, uh, you know, we did the essentially Ellington competition when I was in high school. And that was kind of the, the entree into that music. And, um, yeah, and I just, it was so inspiring and it was like so different than like what we played in jazz band in high school, you know, it was like, this is something else, you know, this is not, uh, this is not the same as like whatever generic charts you might play as a middle school or high school student. Right, exactly.
Duke Ellington and his orchestra on a mod from the album Far East Suite. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway and Sons. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can listen to Jazz Inspired on your favorite podcast platform and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Stride Queen. Although we broadcast on NPR stations, we're an independent production not funded by NPR. Please visit jazzinspired.com to find out how you can chip in and support us. No gift is too small. And please write a review on Apple Podcasts, which is the best way for us to entice others to listen to the show. Thanks for helping us spread the word and celebrate our 22 years on air. Today we're revisiting my 2021 conversation with trombonist composer Nick Fincer. Duos are very important to you. Yeah, you know, I this duo is really special to me because uh, the pianist's name is Chris Ziemba, and he right now he's the pianist and the airman of note in uh, Washington, D.C. But, I mean, we grew up together. We played in that band I was talking about um, that introduced me to Duke Ellington. We played together in that band in high school. So we've been collaborators for a long time. We both went to Eastman. We both went to Juilliard. It's just one of those longstanding musical relationships. But the thing about the duo setting that I find... It's kind of similar almost to the the solo setting in that it's a lot less reliant on, I mean, I just say this from a horn player's perspective. Sometimes mm, mm. horn players just rely on the people around them to give them inspiration or like to carry the music in a certain kind of way. And for me, it was a little bit like, okay, I want to contribute more. You know, I want to be involved all the time, not play a solo and stand over on the side for 10 minutes and then come back and play a solo, play the melody again. I want to play music. And there were, um, I mean, there's a number of great duo albums out there, but um, just kind of a coalescence of like all these different influences and just having this freedom. Anyway, this track is a great bebop classic, Bouncing with Bud. But uh, it's one of my you know favorite tunes. I always think Bud Powell's a little un- underrepresented in the educational world of jazz. What is that about? 
I mean, I I'm know. asking you. <laughs> You're an educator. Tell yeah, me sure. why. I mean, I'm a piano player and I love Bud, but why don't more people talk about Bud Powell? I mean, I feel like, you know, have you read, there's this great Thelonious Monk biography by um, Robin Kelly. It's really right. detailed about Monk, but there's a whole section about Monk's influence or being influenced by Bud. And mm-hmm. just all a lot of things that happened in Bud's life, I think, maybe sent him on a trajectory where he wasn't as popular in the media or wasn't quite as mm. eccentric as someone mm. like like Monk and um, not as or flashy. His, or, his, or his eccentricities, I hate to say it, weren't as cute. And I, I don't sure. mean that because it isn't cute what Monk went through. But you know right. what I mean? People mm-hmm. can sort of say, oh, look at that funny guy in the hat twirling right. around where poor Bud just went off to an institution at different, you know, and things right. like, so I never thought of it that way. That's, that's interesting. So I've thought, I've sometimes thought he, maybe he was kind of pushed to the side for that reason. And it's just, this music's maybe it's not as flashy as Dizzy or Bird. And then there's just kind of a general sense of like hand selecting only a few things, you know, for any instrument. And I feel mm. like kind of Bud got, he got into the, whatever, like the second, not second tier, but like the if there's time, we'll also talk about Bud Powell. Oh, These, like, right, the, right. I do not. I do not subscribe to that. You know, my, in my nor teaching, do I. You know, we're we're going to play some Bud Powell. about your recording of Stardust. It was oh, very, yeah. I loved it. I'm a big Hoagie Carmichael fan, and this was very different in your approach to me. Talk about it. You know, I've always been a big fan of Ahmad Jamal's group um, because he, I've actually always been a fan of piano trios in general, but I think, you know, Ahmad Jamal's trio has this great sense of organization to the way that they play, where you sometimes you can't tell what's written and what's improvised, you know, because they play it similarly, you know, and sometimes in jazz, like for a long time, I had this misconception that all the greatest jazz musicians made up every single thing they did every single time. We all thought that. (laughs) And then once I realized like, oh, that's not how it works. Like you can actually practice things before you play them. You know, that was like a big moment early on for me. But, um, I always loved how he had like arrangements for trio. And I was just like, when I play standards, I want to have like a little stamp, you know, I want the melody, the song to be the song, but I want to do something a little different, kind of like that. And I've always been a big fan of that point Sienna, you know, thing that Ahmad did. And so I was like, what would happen if we kind of, you know, put those two things together. And so that's, that's where this arrangement uh, came from was a chance to, you know, play that arrangement, do a little bit of, you know, a little different harmony here and there, but mostly it's, it's not too different and, um, get a chance to play with some people that, um, both I always wanted to work with in New York Jay Anderson, a great bass player is playing on there. And I had played with him a few times, uh, either with Maria Schneider or this Gil Evans project, big band. And, um, 
I just always wanted to play with him. And this is what I said, like, maybe Jay is free because there's no gigs. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that a couple of times on things that I called somebody and they, they were up the last minute that they'd never be free normally. So there are some advantages to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. the chick korea track oh yeah so i the track is matrix from now he sings now he sobs and to me that piano trio you'll see, probably notice i sent you a bunch of piano trio things a few things anyway that to me always sounds like original and interesting no matter what time it came from you know it came from the late 60s but it's it's timeless in a way to me and in the way that he always, I always talk with, with Chris uh, Ziemba, actually, we used to always talk a lot about Chick Corea and how he always had this like childlike curiosity to the way that he played. And I just think that this album, like he's just not afraid to take chances and play whatever he is kind of feeling. And then you find your way back, you know, because it's a blues, this track, but it doesn't sound like a blues and it's totally free. And it changed my conception of what it meant to quote unquote, play a blues, you know, mm. it's like, there's many ways to play a blues. And as long as you know what you're doing and you have a strong conviction, you can kind of take things in a place and then bring them back to the, to the regular one. So it's, it's definitely an, that whole album, the album's called Now I Sings, Now I Sobs. I go back to it uh, frequently as a source, source of inspiration of there's very little compositional material, but sometimes like it's, very inspiring the way they're able to make so much out of so little, but it's also not totally free, you know, in, a, in like that totally crazy free jazz sense, which is also cool. But like, there's so much organization to the freedom. I don't know how exactly to describe it other than that. I know exactly but. what you mean. They stay within, the, they have their parameters and they improvise within that. Mm -hmm. So you have a place to lock in, but they're completely free and creative. I love it for the same reason.
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm talking with trombonist composer Nick Fincer. You talk about coming back to the Chick Corea often, and you're reminding me that many times when I get discouraged about the business, very or my own playing, whatever, I will go back to certain recordings and it's very emotional. It reminds me why I did this in the first place. Do you have that same, you're nodding your head? I really think that does something to us emotionally because I think you can lose track. I can lose track of it. I won't speak for you. I'll think, what am I doing? <laughs> I've know, had the same speak thought. To that. Trust you me. have. <laughs> I've had the same thought. And you know, and I it did not occur to me like how powerful it was until a friend of mine suggested that to me at a time when I was extreme in a dark place. I was mm. in grad school, very busy, really not sure. And he was just like, man, stop worrying so much. What's your favorite record? And I'm like, what do you mean? What does it matter what my favorite record is? And he's like, no, what's your favorite record? And he's like, and I said, whatever I said, whether it was this one, or I think it might've been the JJ Johnson one. And uh, he's like, all right, get the record, come over. We're going to listen to the record. We just got together and listened to the record. And I was just like tran- transported back to 15 year old me, like hearing it for the first time and being like, wait, what is this? I need to like, oh, okay, you know? And so I totally agree with you. It brings you to a, back to a place where you were just hungry for the music and you're not worried about sending emails to this agent to get this gig and hire this rehearsal and pay for this and all of that business stuff and all the discouraging things go away. And you're just like, man, that's killing. So talk about J.J. Johnson. You brought me another wonderful track. Yeah, so J.J. Johnson, first CD, you know, that I ever owned of jazz trombone was J.J. Johnson. It was this this record that I sent you, this J.J. in person, which uh, ironically is a fake live concert that was, they said, what happened in Rochester, New York. And I was like, no, it didn't. That never happened here. <laughs> one of my professors showed me that one time and I never noticed it. But now I always like to say, say that because it's funny. Uh, but so J.J. to me is just like the pinnacle of jazz trombone playing in that bebop style. And... Um, I just fell in love. And when I was young, starting to play and getting serious about jazz, uh, Wycliffe Gordon, great trombone player, used to come through Rochester a good amount. And, you know, the first time I had a lesson with him, he asked me if I knew this particular J.J. Johnson solo. And I was just like, no, I don't know. And he's like, well, go learn it. And so it was one of those first first experiences where something really kicks your butt so bad that you're like, I have so much work to do. How is this possible? And um, and this is the solo he takes on Mysterioso, uh, that great Thelonious Monk blues. Um, and uh, so J.J. Johnson's it's not only an amazing and inspirational player, but just the way that he composes, the way that he arranged, the way that he just was as a person. He was very well put together. You could hear him speak a little bit on these on this concert on this record, and he's just so. He's funny and charming and just like all these things that I'm like, I want to be like that guy, you know, mm. in all ways, you know? So, 
uh, it's just really inspiring. And this was the record. And we talked about, you know, going back to listen to the one that inspires you. This is this is that for me. You mentioned with J.J. Johnson that you were inspired by everything, the music, the way he talked, he was charming, all of those things. And you have a beautiful presentation. And I, I can tell from your, oh, well, I've looked at your YouTube videos. I told you I took a couple classes. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but all of it, and I, I'm saying this for other musicians because I feel that certainly the generation that's coming up now is most are, are better versed in how to promote themselves because they have the the tools now with uh, with YouTube, with all the various MailChimp, all the ways that we can do mailings and things. But it doesn't mean that it comes off as professional. I know because everybody sends me things. I'm so sure. now I have a very interesting perspective. But you do it beautifully. Is that something that came naturally to you? Did they talk about it in school? Talk about these different things and how you wound up this fabulous person you are in front of me now. I know. Oh, gosh. <laughs> please, don't stop. Please. I know. Exactly. Exactly. I'm promoting you. This is all part of your machine. Exactly. <laughs> um, I would say that when I was in college, they thought they were having classes that dealt with these sort of things, but that they were not a good representation of what it really means. And I think it's like you mentioned, like there's a very fine line between being overly assertive and being genuine, but also giving yourself a chance. Because if you don't give yourself a chance, then there's no shot that we can connect at all, or there's no shot to get on that club or on that festival or anything that you're trying to do. Um, so for me, I had to learn learn through doing, you know, and I've had bands since I was in high school trying to learn how to just book a gig, learning how to, you know, put a record together, put a record out, you know, what does that look like? And I've worked with some different labels and then I ended up starting my own label and all of these different things. Just, I'm like, my dad was the same kind of way. And I think that that's where I got it from. You know, we talked about that just like go and do it, you know? And so I just jump in the deep end usually and kind of find my way to the surface. But so for me, all of the things that I've done has always been trying to find that balance between being authentic and like, I don't want to feel bad about how I'm presenting myself. Like, I don't want to feel like a charlatan, I guess. Mm, <laughs> but mm. I also have to put myself out of my comfort zone because I'm not one that will naturally like self-promote. So I have to like make space in my calendar, be like, all right, for these 20 minutes, you're going to like turn on this hat and just be in this mode where you're trying to you know, build your business, your artistic business, your awareness by doing a YouTube video, by doing some emails, by doing, you know, those all those various things that we know we can do to promote ourselves. Um, but for me, it always comes back to like, you have to be authentic. And even with the YouTube channel or something, there's a lot of ways I could get more traffic on my YouTube channel by doing more clickbaity type videos, by having more flashing sound effects and everything. And I'm just like, well, that doesn't really reflect who I am. So I'm just going to make videos that are, you know, informative and the people that want to find it, they'll find it. You know, there's not that many jazz trombone YouTube channels. So it's like you can find, and I find that the people that do come there, they, they're the type of people that are going to appreciate the information. And so everybody can kind of find their lane. And so that's what I encourage, you know, with the label, I kind of do advise young artists younger than myself, you know, and be like, that's what I t talk to them about is trying to find a lane where they're comfortable and kind of go just stick mm. with it. Cause it takes, takes longer than you think. Even when you think you've reached somewhere, it's like you're still, you're not really that close yet. You got to keep going. <laughs> and I can tell you it goes on forever. 
right, you know, people exactly. say, when did you know you made it? Don't know. <laughs> yeah. I like you saying that you then draw the people that, well, that are your people who see your authenticity, because I think that's what a lot of people don't think of, because in our business, a certain amount of fame has a practical reason, because yeah. people will hire us and we get gigs. But you have to know that and know what kind of gigs you want and why am I doing this? Do I want to reach out and teach some people and put good into the world and also uh, hope that more people know about me? Or is this all just about having hundreds of thousands of followers that, that means not a whole lot in, in our business? I don't know. Exactly. That would, you know, so I think that's, that's very important. <laughs> I just played tennis this morning with a very dear friend of mine who is a professor at Fordham and University here in New York. And he was saying how the energy is down with his students and he thought it would be better. It was really mm -hmm. difficult last year, of course, but they're all just, and he said, and the teachers too, it's just a very difficult energy right now to get people motivated and positive. And so I'm asking you one positive person to another, tell me what it's like for you. How are your students? How is this different than last year? How people talk about that? I'm curious. Sure. Well, last year for us was challenging in different ways because obviously we're at the University of North Texas and Texas has, um, you know, last year we were in person all year and the students, I will have to say, were in the music department, the College of Music specifically, or the ones that I work with. And they were very, very careful, very, very respectful of the wishes of the different professors, of people to, you know, follow safety protocols, even though we were in person during a difficult time. So that was that was really great. But, you know, the energy is down. I would agree with, you know, what your friend said. It's, it's I think, especially... For the young musicians, they're they're looking out and seeing the re, the reality of the lack of work, and that there are a lot of they're seeing the big names with not as much work. They're seeing the people that they looked up to that are maybe taking an opportunity or moving to a city. You know, I'm hearing a lot of friends that are moving to different cities, and then when the students find out, they're like, "Well, why did that person move there? Don't they have enough gigs in New York? Don't they have enough this that?" And having to have those real conversations with them, whereas which I think is a good conversation to have with them, but they didn't come up maybe before, you know, their people were maybe a little less fearful of the future, I guess. And especially in our industry, I mean, I'm still one that says like, you should go if you want to see if you really want to be a jazz musician, I think you should go there. You should go to New York and see if you will like that lifestyle. If you like that, 
level of intensity about the music. You know, you should go. But um, in terms of just like opening their eyes to the reality. So for me, it's been a little difficult to get some people motivated. Some of them are feeling like, what am I doing? Why am I playing this trombone? <laughs> you know, a little bit that way. But um, we're pushing through. You know, I think when you get back to what we're talking about, the, the joy of it and just letting them know that, you know, it's okay if you change your mind. You're three quarters of a way through a degree program. You don't have to play trombone forever. It's okay. Like, I'm not going to be mad at you. Nobody's going to be <laughs> mad at you. It's great. You sound good. And then you move on to something else and you'll always have it as something. And I tell them the story about my mom and that she stopped playing and that she got back into it later when it was the right time. And I think just studying music makes you a more developed individual. You've sure. brought beauty into your life. You've put beauty into the world. And that's valid right there, I think. And I'm just thrilled that we had this conversation. I'm a big fan. And I appreciate And you are the busiest person I know, I have to say, <laughs> just looking at all the things you're doing. And I consider myself pretty busy. So the fact that we were able to schedule this, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. I'm so flattered that you'd want to include me. So I really appreciate it. I'm so glad to talk to you. This is so lovely. This is really great. Thank you. You've been listening to my conversation with Nick Fincer. I hope you'll join me next time when I talk with another creative person about how jazz inspires their life and work. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can listen to Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired on all podcast platforms and at jazzinspired.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Cashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is sponsored in part with generous support from our listeners and Paige at 63 Main in Sag Harbor, New York, serving organic microgreens and vegetables grown on their own energy-efficient indoor and outdoor aquaponic farms. Better taste, happier planet. Visit Paige at 63 Main at opentable.com. And please tell your friends about Jazz Inspired and help us spread the word. For more information, visit jazzinspired.com or judycarmichael.com. <laughs>